City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Good morning, listeners. You are listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Karina. Kevin's laughing at me across the panel because I've quite clearly lost my voice. Um, Welcome to our first housing week for the year. Radio and Karina, that was interesting because Karina said to me before, I won't say much today with my voice. And then she said, I'll, I'll open it. Um, but you were fussing with your glasses, though. I didn't want to make you yeah, write well, it. Well, I was changing into my reading glasses so I could read it or something. But um, I'm going to pour us a cup of tea. You want a cup of tea? I would love one. Okay, look. I, um, can I please have the butterfly cup because I'm wearing butterfly jewellery today? Okay, sure. Thank sure. you, Kevin. No words, you can. Um, yeah, uh, with Karina, well, let's just, the show today is housing, of course, it's our third Wednesday, so we've got Shane McGrath from Housing for the Aged Action Group coming in. And He'll we got be, Jack Verdon's on the line Jack that Verdon, we'll be calling up later, our usual public suspects. Public housing tenant, yep. <laughs> uh, and we're going to, uh, and next week we hope to follow up on housing as well, because uh, uh, there's been a, and we'll talk to Jack and, and probably Shane about it as well, but the, the, uh, on behalf of a number of people, a, a resident of North Melbourne for 25 years, the North Melbourne High Rise has taken the government to court over this proposal to demolish the high rise towers. And we'll talk, hopefully talk to either that person or the legal service next week and get something on that because it's a fourth Wednesday next week. Um, but, Karina, you, you have lost your voice <laughs> compared to. Um, uh, Explain why. I believe you were yelling and screaming last night a bit. Oh, maybe. I may or may not have been outside Melbourne Town Hall uh, where the Melbourne City Council, uh, one of the... <clears throat> they were trying to pass a motion for a ceasefire in Palestine, amongst other things, um, and it got overturned, um, obviously, mm. Mm. given the got nature of this yeah, yeah. larynx. Yeah, okay, so you were there, obviously urging them to support the Palestinian motion, the pro-Palestine motion, and uh, well, the pro-freedom motion, really. Pro, uh, and um, it was knocked off by the council. They didn't support it. That's right. I found parts of it very... Uh, is the word cautious? The language was, was laboured over for a very long time and it was quite obvious that it was in favour of peace, and yet... Um, the councillors that did overturn it cited, um, I, I guess, because because there had been so much feedback from um, letters being written by all parts of the community as well as um, speakers um, from Melbourne City that, that came to give their, um, I guess, their, their evidence or whatever for or against the motion the ones that were against, for the most part, did cite um, a feeling of a lack of safety in the city um, by Jewish people, um, which was quite interesting because actually inside, while the motion was being proposed and also outside, um, nothing 
was said about anti-Semitism, of course. It was all mm. anti-Zionism, which, as we know, are two wholly separate things. Totally, and you know, we must keep separating them. It's interesting this week, I wasn't going to mention it, but I mean, it's worth pointing out, I mean, if one's aware of the sheer hypocrisy of the US and Australia itself also saying, you know, we don't kill as many people as you're killing. They don't tell us how many they can <laughs> kill, which is acceptable, but... Uh, uh, I'm in the US this week again vetoing a resolution for a ceasefire, simultaneously passing um, a motion to give even more arms to Israel and then saying it uh, it wants peace. And at the meantime, you've got Netanyahu and the Palestinian and the Israeli government, the Zionists, saying they will not have a, a Palestinian state at all. And even last night there was an item about problems in the in the West Bank as well. And the news item, although it's this this case that's gone to court, in fact, about the occupied ter- about the occupied territories, gone to the world court, uh, and Israel is ignoring it. And is and it pointed out Israel doesn't regard them as occupied, but as disputed territories. Now, if they're disputed, if you go back to forty eight, the land that is that Palestine was supposed to have, uh, what land have they got? They're supposed to have this lot. They're now disputing the entire land, so there's absolutely nowhere for Palestinians at all if you regard it as disputed and Israel having some claim to it. Some genuine claim, which of course is crap. But, um, yeah. yeah. That's right. So it's bloody awful. That's all I can say. Speaking of uh, fairly interesting regimes, you'll be know, pleased to know the Taliban, the Taliban and the ban part of it comes in very well, uh, they've now got a new rule um, that you can't take pictures of living things and that um, audio content or of official activities were, were allowed. Images of, images of humans and animals are generally avoided and a spokesman for Kandahar's governor said that the letter that was authentic, pictures and television footage of living things were banned. Now, I would have thought that would make a bit of a limitation on what you could show on telly. Yes, I mean, I'd assume so. Is it just animals or is it also things like yogurt? I think it's probably, well, I think women would come under it. You wouldn't be able to show women, of course. Okay. That's only reasonable. Um, uh, (laughs) Speaking of women, um, look, Perrin Davies come into the news this week. Now, she's the deputy leader of the National Party, but until this week, I've got to confess... I've never heard of her. Have you, have you heard of her before this week? No, I was half expecting you to bring up Taylor Swift again. No, 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 let her, let her go. Um, <laughs> Perrin Davey. Old news. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she's, she's, she's gone. Um, Perrin Davey, deputy, she um, she got up and slurred her words and they say she was drunk and she she, she wasn't. But it's just that following on Barnaby's thing the week before, Barnacle on the previous weekend, I thought they're having a pretty good run this lot. But at least she's now in the news because I'd never heard of her before the weekend, but now we know who she is, Perrin Davy. She's the deputy leader of that lot. Um, yeah, so uh, all very interesting. Um, and speaking of that lot, one of them, a, a, a prominent uh, activist on behalf of, uh, of genuine energy reform, Matt Canavan, who you know loves, loves coal, it's just wonderful, uh, he's come up with a figure without proof that the Labor Party, the, 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 the new government's, um, or the government's new uh, emission reduction proposal for vehicles will mean you'll pay as much as 9,000 more to, to a, popular, a popular car, Matt says. It's a terrible thing, a terrible thing. Uh, 
the government says, in fact, you'll save a lot of money, of course, because one, people will go to electric, and secondly, cars will be more efficient. You won't need as much petrol if you do use petrol. Yes, buy new, <laughs> consume more. Yeah, but not going to Matt. Matt says this is terrible, 9,000 and um, trouble, trouble, trouble for the poor old motorist. And, uh, yeah, uh, so that's it. Um, and he also, But he also gets his figures a bit confused because we've actually catching up with the same emission standards the US introduced about 50 years ago and I think when and the, at the time we brought them in the, the industry itself said we were going too fast and I pointed out that if it's 50 years you know just what do they consider slow um, but Matt says and he's come up with some really important figures here you'll be pleased to hear that while over the past six years the US has tightened its fuel efficiency limit by 25%, Australia is planning to reduce limits by 60% over five years. Now, very good, Matt, except the fact is the United States was way ahead of us before those six years you talk about. So his figures just don't add up in terms of the total. But uh, that doesn't worry Matt from coming up with figures like that and $9,000 for a new car. There that's you okay. Teachers don't ask to see students working out anymore, right? No, no. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, and another one of that lot, Ralph Babbitt, who also, along with Matt, spoke at the um, the, the, the Reckless Renewables rally that Barnacle, Barnacle um, chaired along with Keith Pitt and all that lot uh, and Julie and what's her name Hanson, Pauline Hanson Ralph of course is the one senator elected the one member elected by the um, the uh, party, what's his name the bloke up in Queensland who had the party um, Australia party, whatever it's called that bloke, Clive Palmer, Palmer. Clive Palmer's party um, anyway Ralph got photographed last week next to a bloke and he had his thumbs up supporting the bloke, and behind him the bloke was giving a Nazi salute. And he's a highly active member of the of the National Socialist Network. But but Ralph says he didn't realise this bloke was a, was a Nazi, and it was all just a big mistake. And he says the far left and the far right are all a bunch of losers. He said, uh, unlike Clive Palmer, who spent billions of dollars and got one person elected. That's not a loser, is it? No. Ah, there we are. He laughs at me if I open my mouth. He laughs at me if I don't open my mouth across the panel there. Well, <laughs> well there must be, must be a halfway point there somewhere. Um, <laughs> interesting also, just up north at the moment, and we'll see what happens, but um, the, the election of uh, Prabowo um, in, in Indonesia, because uh, certainly he was very much a war criminal in the past, and he's now... He's now uh, reinvented himself and uh, we'll see what happens but um, also of course this week speaking of Indonesia we've had people get here by boat and according to Peter Dutton uh, Australia has lost complete control of our borders now complete control of our borders apparently a small boat landing on the West Australian coast to some isolated spot and 39 people wading through mangroves before being transported to Nauru is is losing your borders and then he said that we're spending a lot less on it, and the department pointed out we're actually spending a lot more than he spent, but uh, that doesn't stop them from saying it either. But I think what it does show is, of course, that the, the two major parties here vie over themselves, fall over themselves to see who can be the more cruel. Um, and um, 
why can't these people stay here, for God's sake? Or why can't we have a system that allows people to come here with proper processes uh, rather than say they, they're jumping the queue or what queue are they talking about? Uh, no proper papers. Well, if, you, if you're fleeing somewhere where you've got to get out quickly, sometimes you mightn't have the papers. Bad luck. Um, illegal? Not illegal. It's quite legal what they're doing. So... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, think I think the powers that be think the influence of fear is a lot stronger than it actually is. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, and then of course, Labor always falls for it. They say they're they're weak on defence or weak on on borders or something, and they keep trying to prove they're not by they spending. Say, no, we're not. Yeah, that's ramp right. it up again. Spent <laughs> ramp it up completely, both in burning more and more and more on things that kill people, or being as cruel as you possibly can to to refugees. It's a great, uh, great little bunch. Now, on the other hand, they are nice to some people, and I think that's worth pointing out. And uh, at the moment, speaking of Indonesia again, then I'm going to pour myself a little bit of more tea. Do you want a bit more tea? Yes, please. Okay, I'll just... Topping uh, my throat. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Thank you go. very much, Kevin. Uh, the um, Indonesia has developed in, in recent times... a. A, a huge, it's gone from a very small percent to a large percent of the world's nickel, which is part of the whole whole box and dice of nickel and lithium, etc., used for, for batteries and stuff that's supposed to be renewable. Uh, but because Indonesia's doing it and China has moved in and spending a lot of money on processing it in Indonesia, they're able to undercut the Australian nickel industry, led by BHP and the usual suspects. And as a result, the prices have crashed and these people are not making the money they were making. In fact, they're probably now on their nickel losing and BHP has now threatened to close down. It's the old blackmail thing, close down unless the government comes to the rescue. And, of course, this week Albanese went over to Western Australia where the nickel is and the nickel companies are. Well, well, not the companies are all over the place, but where they produce their nickel, these international companies... And he's now promising, because, of course, they want to hold seats in Western Australia as well, uh, he's now promising that they'll give them concessions, so they'll give them all sorts of tax concessions and tax breaks, etc. so we're going to hand more of the public purse to the biggest mining companies over loss. Um, Now, these are the same companies at the other end of the scale. This is the old situation of capitalise our our profits and socialise our losses. These same companies are making millions and millions out of other areas, of course, of resources. And if the government says we want, if you're making obscene profits, if the over-the-top profits, which they do at times when suddenly the price goes up and they make you know heaps over even normal, uh, the government says we'll put an extra tax on that, they start screaming and yelling. You had Gina and company a few years ago running around the streets uh, stopping a a tax, an extra tax on the resource industry when it was making trillions. So when they make lots of money and you try to tax them, they say that's terrible, it's going to destroy us, it'll cost jobs away, away, we. But of course, once they start losing money on something like nickel, the same companies, while making millions elsewhere, then say we need government help and the government immediately steps in and says, yeah, we'll help you. And, uh, and they're doing it, uh, which... Um, and um, some people are opposing that, but nonetheless, um, the government's come up with it. And the West Australian government is also giving them um, a cutting back on royalties for them. So they're getting concessions both from the West Australian and federal government uh, to, um, 
to keep them going once you've called blackmail because it's going to cost all these jobs and all the other things. At the same time, though, uh, West Farmers is getting into lithium over there and says long-term it can see great profits and it believes the nickel thing will boost up again as well. as, as So some a bit of a contradiction. But, of course, <laughs> if, if and when the... Um, if and when nickel prices go up again, then uh, will the companies then say, well, now you can get your money back by taxing us a bit more for the profits we're now going to make because it's gone up? Uh, I'll leave you to think that one, ponder that one. Uh, what do you I don't know if you think I'll that ponder, I'll ponder. Um, yeah. Just a quick question. I wonder if you've seen anything in the news in the past week about the ASU planning a walkout tomorrow. Uh, sure, I have. I doubt there would be anything ahead of time, unless to be seen as potentially promoting it. But the Australian Services Union are um, organising what they're calling an unprotected industrial action, so a walkout of social and community service workers in support of Palestine. Um, so that's tomorrow at one pm, um, and that's kind of. A group within oh, yeah, the ASU, ASU Action yeah. for Palestine, yeah. Yeah. in yeah. case listeners would like to take a look. So where, where is that going to be, do you know? Uh, so it's going to be tomorrow starting at 1pm, meet at VCOS, so that's 128 Exhibition Street, walking from there to the Federation of Community Legal Centres, um, Burke Street. Right, well that's right. Excellent, excellent. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, now... The Commonwealth Bank also announced a huge profit last week. And uh, at the same time, it's petty to go to the petty cash tin because they got fined $10 million for underpaying workers $16 million. Now, one assumes because the fine was $10 million, this was a fine. Usually they get to have to pay it back. This was a fine, so one assumes they've also got to repay the sixteen mil. Let's hope so. I'd like to see their working out. <laughs> yeah. And now, they always, they always tell us, of course, every time there's an underpayment, they assure us that it was totally inadvertent and it's because of the complications of the award system and it's too complicated. We need to simplify them and all that sort of stuff. Um, we never hear of them, though, getting so confused by it they actually overpay workers, but nonetheless, um, they, um, they do manage, I don't know how to misread it and underpay them on a regular basis, but always inadvertent, always inadvertent. Oh, now, yes. in this case, his honour, was a he, his honour seemed to get the opinion that, impression that they were, it wasn't absolutely, totally, completely inadvertent because they were on individual contracts, the thing that bosses tell us we need. You know, that's what we need, workers and employers on an equal basis to work out their arrangements. That's right. Now, it was one of those arrangements that they just keep going when they knew they were therefore paying the workers way under what they were getting under the award, what they would be getting under the award. So they were fully aware that they were ripping workers off for all that time, and that's why they got fined for it. Um, so I'm not sure the inadvertent excuse stands up all that well. No, I don't think so. Did they say how many workers were affected in total? I can't remember now, but there was 16 million they owed anyway. Yeah. To, um, yeah. So that was that. Look, um, Shane McGrath's going to be here very shortly, I hope. <laughs> we'll, we'll t- oh, is he at the door? Have anyone seen him? Oh, we've got the door closed. We can't tell. He's probably out there waiting for us. That's right. I'll <laughs> pop on a song and then we'll go see Yeah, okay. Him. Get Shane in. <laughs> So this one is from Anatiju, Chilean rapper, uh, from her new album. This song is called 
Oyenme, hear me or listen to me. Mis ojos negros, negro y azabache, descendiente de mi abuelo, en mi tez madera, que corre por mis venas y el cuero que te suena, viene de mi tierra, viene de tan lejos, con solo lo opuesto, cruce tantas aguas, varios desiertos, llevo en la boca, parte de mi cielo, por donde camine, por todo mi duelo. Mi pie es cansado, pero lleno de sueño, acá los cortaron acusándome de quitar empleo, no es que pues no entro, mi cuerpo entero canta libertad mientras tú matas a mi pueblo. Que limpie lo malo, que se apague el fallo Que bote todo lo de que lo limpie todo Que llueva la vida, que lleve la ira Que limpie lo malo, que se apague el fallo Que bote todo lo de que lo limpie todo Que llueva la vida, que lleve la ira Enjaulados en la hipocresía, gritan democracia, silencio en la justicia, quitan su balanza, rompen de su espada, nadie dice nada, yo. En la historia no contada, la colonia sigue tu silencio, cómplice, la frontera divide al hombre según donde se reside. No es el mismo precio que es el blanco, que es el negro. Arriba, la humanidad primero. Que limpie lo malo, que se apague el fallo, que vote todo lo de que lo limpie todo. Que llueva la vida, que lleve la ira. Que se apague el fallo, que bote todo lo de que lo limpie todo, que llueva la vida, que lleve la ira. Oye, me tirano, tú que oprimes tanto, que vas esclavizando, disparando, matando. Oye, me mi canto, que se oiga alto, con mi pueblo levanto, libertad está llamando. Oye, me tirano. Parando, matando Okay, uh, Shane McGrath and uh, you know, Housing with the AIDS Action Group. I've got a few things to talk to Shane about. But Shane, have you got anything you want to raise as far as oh. HAG's concerned? When we what? say HAG, people are unaware because it means Housing with the AIDS Action Group. We're not being insulting to each other. <laughs> well, maybe we are as well. Um, a few things to talk about this week, but first of all, I just wanted to ask, as a newly minted Taylor Swift fan, how was your weekend? <laughs> I had a ball. Oh, great. No, I mentioned last week, I, I missed the Sunday edition of the Herald Sun and didn't get her feet in the full-size thing. But <laughs> fortunately, those who wrecked Captain Cook came to the rescue, so I've now got Taylor with Captain Cook's feet. Uh, amazing. It's yeah, <laughs> quite, right. quite an image. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I, was, I, had break, I had lunch with some people down at Bentley on um, Sunday, and I was coming home just about, we were driving home about an hour before the uh, 
the concert started and there were young people glitter everywhere mm. at that time flooding into mm-hmm. the MCG. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things that I did want to mention uh, just in connection with HAG before we start uh, talking about some of the other stuff. Like One, Taylor. We've got, we've covered the important things. Now we'll move on to just some housing talk. Okay, right here. Um, so, I mean, this is probably obvious, but the greatest housing crisis in the world today is in Gaza. Um, I work in the SAC sector, the social and community services sector. Um, there's been a call from some ASU members for a walkout around lunchtime tomorrow. That's unprotected industrial action. Um, anyone who's considering taking part should think about, you know, what the implications of that should be. But if you work in our sector and you think that our organisations should be doing more, saying more uh, about the genocide, then it's a great opportunity to get involved and you can find out more at the ASU for Palestine Instagram page. That's where I get all my info, but Mm. probably also wherever. I mean, I'm sure most of your listeners are well informed about uh, Palestine solidarity actions that are going on uh, and you can probably find out more wherever you get that information. Yeah. The... Other thing that I wanted to mention, just a, a sort of quick shout out um, to Jeff and April, who I know you know, um, long time former HAG uh, staff, really did a lot to shape the organisation. Um, I just wanted to say uh, to both of you, if you're listening, that you are well remembered in the organisation and we really appreciate everything that you did. Haven't seen either of you in a while, but I hope you're doing well. Good. Yeah, we haven't heard from them for a while, but um, they they were. I mean, they were part of a, you know, forming it in those back, back in the original days and... Uh, and did a great job. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for what they'd done. No, no. I mean, I kept wondering how April, because before Hags, of course, she still worked in the housing area for so many years. I mm-hmm. You could see it almost wearing her down at the end, because it's very difficult to handle that all the time. Absolutely. Um, any other issues on housing you wanted to raise before I raise a couple? Well, you told me you want yeah, to talk about land lease communities, so yeah, okay. let's get into it. Yep, okay, land lease. Now, tell us something about them, because they... There's a number of big companies. Ingenie is one that seems to have lots and lots. In fact, they've got um, just in, well, some people are struggling to get a roof over their head. The group now has 5,778 land lease lot or dot development pipeline. And in the land lease space alone owns 35 communities with 11,700 homes where the average rent is 190 a week. But the other big companies, the usual suspects, are also getting in. So there's obviously money in this sector. What's it about? Yeah. Do you want me to start with what's bad about Ingenia or what's bad about this this industry? Take your pick. I mean, it's it's so much to say. So I mostly know Ingenia. It's quite a big, you know, organisation. They run not only land lease communities, but things like, you know, just rental accommodation. Uh, They have a a number of properties called Ingenia Gardens, which uh, we have quite a lot of clients living there. Um, They're sort of lower cost. Well, not really that lower cost. They charge 80% of the pension for their units. And in that you get uh, meals included. Uh, We've seen persistent... Uh, problems over many years that people whose dietary needs change and are no longer able to eat the meals uh, are told, uh, you know, are, are not reasonably accommodated, and you know, are, are paying a huge amount of their their income for food to for food that they just can't eat. Um, that connects to you know rental minimum standards, which we've talked about on this program before, because uh, as people may know, one of the rental minimum standards is that you have to provide a, a, a working kitchen area, uh, two hot plates, things like that. And part of the reason that Ingenia uh, provides meals is that they don't provide a kitchen. So anyone who's moved into Ingenia Gardens since the the standards came into effect, which is what, March 2021, uh, should be, uh, I think, entitled to uh, kitchen facilities. If anyone 
in that category is listening to the show um, and would like to find out more about what their options could be, uh, you'd be very welcome to give Hag a call and I'll give out our phone number uh, at the end of the segment. So grab a pen and paper. Yep. But land lease communities. So what we're talking about is uh, sort of parks or villages where people uh, buy dwellings, they're kind of cabin-like generally, uh, and rent the land that the, the cabin sits on. Uh, at HAG, we generally call these residential parks, but they go like by lots of names. They're sometimes called lifestyle parks, lifestyle villages, um, things like that, land lease communities. Uh, they, it is, as you say, a, a hugely growing industry. Um, and I would say seriously under-regulated in a, a number of respects. Um, the One of the persistent problems that we see is that the, they're covered by the Residential Tenancies Act. There's a, a section of the Act called Part 4A that was introduced in 2010 that it, it regulates uh, this sort of community. Before that, they were just considered caravan parks but had really you know, evolved away from a, a, a caravan park-type accommodation. Um, and a lot of the problems that we see, so you are like, you know, you have a park, maybe there's, you know, a hundred units there, maybe there's 400, you know, whatever it is. If there's a problem in the park, it probably affects hundreds of people or it, it may certain kinds of problems. And there's no, there's no available way to resolve that. So uh, to give a, an example, um, we have some clients at the moment who live in a residential park, uh, with, let's say there's a hundred units. Well, they got a rent increase notice that we don't think is valid, and six of them have come to us for help. So we can almost certainly go to VCAT and get orders that those six people don't have to pay the unlawful rent increase, but that's not going to affect in any way the other 94 people who are likely to keep paying that, uh, that unlawful increase. There's no sort of systemic response. There's no body that can take you know, action to enforce or protect the, the rights of the residents. Um, that's a you know, and there's lots of reasons why people aren't taking that action. Partly, it's because you know our our reach is limited. Um, you know, there's only so many people we can contact. We can do our best to say to, to individual residents, well, you know, if you're talking to your friends or neighbours, you can tell them to call us as well. But you know, there's a limit to how effective what that is. What was illegal about the the increase? Uh, I think I probably won't go into that in too much detail for uh, confidentiality reasons. Um, I don't want to. But uh, I guess broadly, the, the, in a park for a park or in a residential park, um, a, the contracts that people have, because they are, they're often quite long, you can see up to 99-year leases, uh, often the contracts provide for certain rent increases. So, you know, you know, normally if you have a 12-month lease in a residential tenancy, the rent can't be increased in that period. Mm. Um, but you can imagine, if you've got a 99-year lease, it wouldn't really make sense that your, your rent would never increase in that time. So, no, particularly for age services. <laughs> so the, the lease can, can include rent increases, and if it does, um, they can just sort of almost automatically increase the rent by the amount set out in the contract. And in this case, uh, we, we don't think that they've done that properly. Right, okay. Um, uh, you know, so we'd, you know, one thing that we've talked about before on this show is that HAG would really like to see an ombudsman for retirement housing issues. And that's the kind of thing that we mean. There are these systemic issues that affect dozens or hundreds of people in a park. And at the moment, there is just no remedy for that. There is no organization, no body, no decision making power or regulator that can do anything about it, um, except to sort of take these piecemeal actions at VCAT to try and get remedies for individuals. Mm. And VCAT also hates when you do that. If you take six people to VCAT, VCAT do not like it. They want to be dealing with individual matters in the residential tenancies list. 
Um, so it's it's frustrating all around. I assume that um, Hag, among others, are, are, are campaigning on this issue. What, where's the campaigning at in terms of the government maybe doing something? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's been really encouraging over the last couple of years is the emergence of the Manufactured Home Owners Association, which is a, an organisation of uh, residential park uh, residents or site tenants uh, or land lease community members. Um, so they've been campaigning a lot. Uh, with, I think they and us have had a, a fair amount of success meeting with individual state MPs to talk about these issues and why reform is needed. I think there is like a, an understanding within at least parts of the Victorian government that they need to do something about this. Uh, and we're just like trying to get it over that most important last mm. step of, oh, yeah, we know we need to do something about it too. We're actually doing something. Part of the reason... Sorry, I, I'm, no, I'm talking a lot. You can interrupt no, me if no, you want. No, 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 keep going. Part of the reason this is a problem is that... While when, you're talking sense, I'll let you keep going. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. We just <laughs> don't know that that's going to happen. We, we stopped talking about Taylor Swift in, yeah. a while ago. Oh, that's right. Um, Back when the residential tenancies amendments were being considered, which is what, like 2018? I can't mm. remember the exact dates off the top of my head. Um, they considered all the different parts of the acts, including Part 4A. But around the same time, there was a Senate inquiry into retirement housing issues, which HAG was very involved in. Um, and basically what happened was that both those processes sort of handballed each other the responsibility for fixing things. So that's the question I was going to ask. I was, how did it miss out on the last residential tenancy? Yeah, so the Senate inquiry said, we're not really going to make too many recommendations about this because there's already a residential tenancies reform process going on and the residential tenancies reform process says, well, we're not really going to do anything about this because uh, there's this other Senate inquiry going on. There were some really important improvements and reforms that did come through those RTA reforms, um, but there's still a lot of issues that we're seeing that have not been addressed. Mm. Uh, and you did mention about the fact that they, you know, not, not up to standard, they haven't got kitchens, for instance, and hot plates. So most, res- but, sorry, most residential parks, you would have kitchens in the cabin. They're quite yeah. well, well appointed. Yeah, but but in fact, I raise that because we're still seeing stories, time and again, of rental properties not being up to standard. But you know, as we've talked about time and again, the res- the tenants are just too afraid to take it up. And, take, and in fact exercise their rights yeah. for fear of being tossed out. I mean, I think that those fears can be worse or at least sort of quite different in a residential park. So, you know, if you're a tenant and you're thinking, you know, should I ask for these basic repairs? Should I ask for this to be up to standard? You're worried that the, about things like the landlord evicting you or increasing the rent in a way you can't afford. Those aren't really concerns in a residential park. What the big concern you have in a residential park is Eventually, you're going to leave. Um, probably that's when you move into a residential care or pass away and your family has to d- deal with the, the dwelling. You're going to need to sell the dwelling. It's, in most cases, your major, probably only asset. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. The only way you can sell that is with the active cooperation of the park owner. So people worry, uh, in some cases, correctly, that if they do anything to get the park owner offside, it's going to be you know, mm. difficult or impossible to sell the dwelling. Uh, it's illegal for the park owner to obstruct or hinder the sale, but there are many ways that they can obstruct or hinder a sale, you know, sort of indirectly or passively, uh, and not enough regulation of that by Consumer Affairs Victoria, which is the responsible regulator. Right here is, well, let's, let's keep the campaign going and see if we can, hopefully we can get some more positive news later in the year on that one. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, in the meantime, of course, Murbeck and all the usual suspects are getting into it, so they're all out to make money. But here's some encouraging news, though, for speaking, you were seeing you work for the Housing with the Ace Action Group. Uh, the the really encouraging news for older people. You see, who's now be, now taken over um, as chair of the council for the um, the ageing. I uh, no, I haven't seen that. Uh, well, it's the the magnificent um, Christopher Pine. That's good news for older people, isn't it? Oh dear. Yes, Christopher Pine is replacing Jane Holton as um, chair of the council on the ageing. Um, he's going to he's still going to have his PR company going and do his work for the for the defence industry and killing people. So. Well, it's good to have your fingers in a few pies. Yeah, that's right. And uh, someone who's going to interested in killing people and running accounts for the ageing is uh, interesting. Yeah, we do a fair bit of work with uh, Coda Victoria. I think they're independent from the the national Coda. I'm not quite sure how that that structure works, but I I like to I like to hope they are. Well, yes. Um, and uh, well, that's about it. That's about all I had for this particular segment. But uh, there are other things happening. One you might want to comment on, um, and we'll talk to Jack about it as well. The um, the resident of North Melbourne Towers taking up the case. Have you caught up with that one? Uh, I don't know too much about it, but I was really happy to see that there's going to be some yeah. uh, some action in the courts. Well, he's obviously representing a lot of people, but he's lived for 25 years in the... Um, in the thing, his name, in fact, is um, Berra, uh, Barry Berra, B-E-R-I-H. He's lived there for 25 years, and he's the, the upfront in this court case, which is being run by the Inner Melbourne Community Legal mm-hmm. Service. Um, but they're taking, yeah, they're challenging the government about the uh, the demolition of the towers, which is an interesting development. Yeah, it's great to see. We had Louisa Bassini from the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre on our Hags Raise the Roof show on 3CR a few weeks ago, talking mm. about. Well, not in too much detail, but anticipating that they might consider a legal challenge to the the plans to demolish the towers, and I'm really happy to see that she's uh, doing that. And it's happened. It's happening. It's all happening. (laughs) Great to see. It's 37. We'll get Jack Burton. You want to stick around for Jack? Oh, yeah, why not? Okay. In the meantime, Shane, would you like to let listeners know the hag details so that yes. they can get in touch? I did say that earlier, and then I'm glad you remembered it because I didn't. Um, so if you want to, um, if you're a residential park resident and you want some more information, um, either about your rights personally or to get involved in some of our campaigning, you can call us on 03 9654 7389. That's 9654 7389 and press extension 2. Uh, or find us on social media and whatnot. Right, yeah. Okay, we'll come back, talk to Jack Verdon, and also have Shane McGrath. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well-crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. This summer, tune in to Health Sovereignty, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast for 2023. 
12 hours of programs by people with disabilities talking about what health well-being and body sovereignty means for multiply marginalised disabled people, their kin and communities living on unceded Indigenous lands. All the audio is available to listen back at your leisure at 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2023. Or find the podcast by searching 3CR's Radical Radio on your favourite podcast app. The state government has sold 578 hectares of public land to private developers. They're building private public partnership model housing over public housing land and it's just not on. Housing is just massively expensive. It's never been effective in this country to rely on the market to provide decent housing for people. Rent has risen by 21%. That's median rent across the country as of January this year. As the rents keep rising, so must we. And we must stand together as a collective because this war cannot be won by the few. It will only be victorious by the many. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Okay, back on uh, city limits and uh, housing and Jack Burden's on the line. Jack, of course, a, a campaigner on public housing, lives in public housing. Jack, uh, I've got a few things to talk to you about, but anything you wanted to raise specifically at the moment? A bit of old news that maybe we, we were talking about that tech park in um, yeah. Williamstown. Uh, if you remember a while ago, people yep. were getting evicted. Yep. And uh, it, it turned out that they could actually stay and claim existing use rights. Fancy legal term. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, but but um, what was really interesting in, in the article I read was that the um, council, who you know, came out of the blue to evict them all, mm. knew about their ability to do this six months beforehand, mm. but didn't tell them. Well, in fact, at the time, they said they only just discovered they lived there, which was pretty amazing because they'd been living yeah. there for years and the yeah. local yeah. council didn't know. But, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. isn't it? And it was the staff themselves, the councillors themselves were, I think, ignorant of all this, but the staff were building up a case to get rid of them. Yeah, um, that's you know. right, yeah. And so, so I wonder, it makes you sort of wonder what, what do people think they're working for, public servants? Are they working for the public or for some inner, inner, inner sort of... Uh, hidden agenda or, you know, internal targets and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's just sort of, you know, weird. It's Look, weird. But the government's also, of course, now more to filling up the government's, the good news is the government's passed uh, a new new law um, showing that if you've been there for 15 years, you can stick around. Yeah, so that's the good news, yeah, existing use yeah. rights. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, I heard at the weekend... Uh, that one of the pressures on council was actually coming from the federal government over the over the nearby mobile, the, which aren't used anymore, but the mobile storage sites because they yeah. may want to use them again for storage. That was an interesting that the pressure was on from outside um, the council itself. But anyway, that's oh. that's a that's a possibility. Who knows? Yeah, oh, there you go. Hidden agenda. That's what I said. Hidden agendas. You know, federal government's agenda, or which is probably influenced by someone else's agenda. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's agendas and agendas. Yeah. Uh, we, we've seen um, there was a f- report that that rents rose as high as fifty six, 
well, some rents rise 56 a year, or 56,000 a year, which is ridiculous. But uh, but also, uh, we just weekly tenancies have gone up $70 or so in the last year, apparently, in various places, and uh, it just keeps rising. It was, I think one said last month there was some, again, a high percentage of uh, increases in rentals. So this is putting pressure all the time, isn't it, on the things we talk about? Well, it's only um, people higher up the, the income level that can afford it. And, uh, and worse still is if you are in an existing tenancy and these things happen, properties churn over, you end up uh, losing your tenancy. Where do you go? There's nowhere to go. Um, other than maybe a, a friend's house or a tent on the Murray River um, or down the peninsula. And, I mean, again, you know, what, what are we here for? We're here to serve the people or not? And uh, this used to be done via public housing. You know, that's why I'm a public housing activist. And a massive percentage of uh, the new housing build was uh, public housing. By the way, you know, when people talk about, well, we can't do it now, we don't have enough tradies to build houses, well, we can actually buy public housing as well. So... The government can spot purchase stuff, and they're, they're very well aware of that. So, but you know, how about we do something more about it? Well, in fact, um, a, a researcher from Core Logic, Tim Lawless, said, "I just can't see how renters can continue to withstand that uh, from an affordability yeah. perspective." We want to remember that renters don't have a great deal of elasticity in how much they can pay because they can't uh, access credit to pay their rent. Um, so even people like CoreLogic are aware of it. Yeah. And yet uh, government solutions still seem to be very much in the private sector. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And that's because uh, you know, the governments are all now basically uh, developing policy according to the uh, lobbying of the private mm-hmm. sector. I mean, you can virtually see, you, know, you see some sort of lobbying campaign start up, next moment is a government policy. So, uh, I mean, actually, the Masters Builders Association is really worried about the supply chain in our country, and they've actually come up with the lobbying uh, little snippet this week that I read that we need more warehouses. And so what they want to do is circumvent planning laws so they can build more warehouses and, of course, make lots of profit for their master builders. But, oh, no, it's all about worrying about the supply chain. You know, everyone's doing online shopping. You need to store all this stuff somewhere. <laughs> well, I think we're getting by quite OK as it is. I don't know where they come up with this insanity. No, and of course I, mean, the, I think it's research a bit like big tobacco. The industry says things like negative gearing have nothing to do with the problems uh, we're facing. The real problem is supply, and just give them more supply, and they'll, uh, yeah. the private sector will solve the problem, apparently. Yeah, Good news. yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the people who argue against negative gearing go, oh, 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 and it's probably true. There'll be, there'll be quite a lot of people who sell their properties. Hmm. But, you know, have a think about it. Who are they going to sell their properties to? Well, it's probably to people who currently don't have a property. And who, and who are they? Oh, they're renters. So, you know, so you actually move the, you know, the, the same people who are renting those uh, properties once they're on sale, just you know, maybe not the same individuals, but as a mass, they will, you know, a lot of renters will actually move into private properties, which will, will relieve the whole pressure on other rentals. I mean, this thing goes around in a, in a big circle. 
But, of course, the lobbyists only lobby for their own particular interests. So, um, anyway, it's good to see that the, uh, the Greens at the federal level are now currently uh, blocking a, a bill called the Help to Buy Bill and try to raise the awareness around this whole area of negative gearing and discounted capital gains tax. So they're using that as a negotiation lever with the government, but it's also bringing it back out into the public attention versus, uh, you know, Chalmers and Albanese saying, you know, it is not on the agenda. Well, guess what? It is now on the agenda. And guess what? Um, back in the days of Bill Shorten, it was on policy. You know, so this stuff, you know, it has to, has to be brought out because we're one of the few countries in the world who go around doing this, you know, using uh, residential property as an investment vehicle. You know, go and invest in something else, people. And, let, and, and you know, and let's, let's, let's provide houses for people to live in, not to make money out of. Well, the government said that the, the green stand on negative gearing was they, the term they used was uh, juvenile. Uh, at the same time, Chalmers, the Treasurer, said, we've got, I think, a very broad and very ambitious housing agenda and we've got a pretty full book when it comes to tax reform, etc. But what's their um, broad and um, very ambitious housing agenda, for God's sake? Yeah, well, uh, their ambi- well, this current bill, the Help to Buy bill, um, it's... It's where it's one of these government equity things, so where the government will actually take a thirty or forty percent stake mm. in the purchase price of the house or, or dwelling, and usually also with the uh, buyer uh, only having a stump up a five percent deposit. Of course, there's limits on income and and, and property prices, uh, but they're only offering this is this is their ambitious. Uh, Bill, uh, Bill, they're only offering 10,000 places, which the Greens have pointed out is 0.2% of renters. So 0.2% of renters may be able to win a lottery to get into a home which the government will end up owning 30 to 40% of anyway. So I, I mean, I don't call that ambitious. Uh, that just... Uh, that's just a bit of sugar coating, uh, you know, as PR for for their spin spin engine and and for the press. Uh, I'll ask you both to comment on a letter that was in the Age the other day by a bloke called Craig Horner, Fitzroy North. Craig, in fact, I served on Fitzroy Council with at one period together. He, he's written a very good letter, I think. He says. It was the lead letter in The Age one day last week. He said, The Reserve Bank reports that Australian household indebtedness is now among the highest, if not the highest, of the advanced economies in the world. 85% of that debt is in the form of mortgages for housing, much of it negatively geared property. Most of this rise in debt has come over the past 30 to 40 years when Australia's household indebtedness went from the bottom half of advanced economies in the late 80s to the very top. This period corresponds with the Howard government halving the capital gains tax on investment property and supersizing tax concessions for negatively geared property costs. This profligacy has led to house prices increasing over 400%. It has also resulted in taxpayers subsidising property investors to the tune of $7.7 billion per year, according to the Australia Institute. 
That's billions of dollars going to the top 10% of Australia's income earners while the public housing sector has been effectively annihilated. Scrapping negative gearing in the GST and transferring the cost saving into the provision of public housing are both socially responsible and economically rational. Comment on that for either of you? Sounds good to me. <laughs> right. Oh, that's a good comment. <laughs> Jack? Yeah. Well, that, that's the whole point. Um, you know, we, you can put your money in, in one of two places. You can give the money to investors or you can you can use the same money to build public housing. So this, you know, if people say we can't afford to build it and, and I must remember also say buy public housing, well, we can. The money's there. Just stop giving it to someone else and we can start solving this problem. So, so really the only thing that's stopping that is... Uh, probably fear of, uh, uh, of the um, electorate backlash, voter backlash. And um, that's what um, happened when um, Bill Shorten didn't, you know, didn't win his election campaign, uh, surprisingly, because he was expected to win it. And that's they came up with one of the reasons for it. Um, so, you know, the, the money's there. Yeah, the money's there, honey. And, and this all started, you know, Back back in the late nineteen eighties, when they stopped making uh, doing public housing, and you know, sadly, we're actually uh, also in the worst part of Australia for all of this because yeah. uh, this, uh, this actually came out in the uh, just in in one of the podcasts I listened about the uh, the class action about the towers, but in in Victoria, we have only invested two point. 2.8% of the properties are social housing, in other words, public housing and community housing, only 2.8%, whereas the national average is 4.1%. So we are rock bottom in terms of investment in this area, and which you know, I just say shame on the shame on the governments over the years for doing that. And they've, they've let it slip, and they're probably going to themselves, how the hell do we get out of it? Well, the state government you know, is also pretty well known is going broke um, for a variety of reasons. So, But it's the Federals. They've got to put, put the pressure back on the Federals to uh, provide the money. They can easily do it by abolition of, of this, all these incentives for investors. Amen to that. Yeah, well, you sort of gave a mm during there somewhere. Was there any more than that? <laughs> I just, uh, I mean, agreeing with what Jack said that the Victoria is the the lowest spending state for public housing. It's pr- pretty outrageous when the government parades its progressive credentials all the time. Mm. Well, it keeps telling us what wonderful things it's doing in housing. Um, are they yeah. perhaps not quite accurate? Yeah, well, um, and you know, and some of our politicians have good good personal friends in the private sector. Who are builders, etc. I mean, I won't go around naming names. I'll probably end up in court. But um, uh, yeah, it just seems crook. And I've actually also seen a few reports recently from from the architect community. And this is the Australian Institute of Architects has actually written stuff around the the whole insanity of demolishing our public housing towers. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, there, 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 there are a whole lot of examples of how those current towers, which everyone says are, are useless and out of date and all that, can be can be refurbished with little or no disruption to the current tenants. And that's, there's actually architecture sort of plans around how that can be done. And uh, and in fact, so 
So there's no need to demolish these places. And it's economic vandalism. because the, the cost of demolishing these before they even start building is in the tens of the millions of dollars per tower. So, uh, and, and last year we had, had the example with Barrett Beacon, which sadly now is, is getting demolished, if not already fully down onto the ground now, that, that the, there was a refurbish and then fill in the gaps with other, other build, which said it was a saving of about 80 or $90 million doing it that way according to the architect firm that did that. But the, well, why does the government ignore that sort of wonderful advice on how to save money and go for the more expensive option that favours a developer? You know, it's just, you know, it's economic vandalism and it's insanity. Well, one of the finer examples of that was Harry Trigubov, who's um, Australia's richest developer. And when the annual richest people comes out in the financial review, he's always in the first three in Australia, richest people. And he says the government needs to take more accountability of its, of its housing targets if it wants to slow uh, rent increases. And he, he went on, what he went on to do was actually ask for gov- more government help for developers uh, who are doing it tough, apparently. So um, Harry's obviously got the solution, uh, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the, the, the world of the rich is behind him saying, yes, please. And uh, the banks love this idea. They can now lend more money to all the buyers. And, you know, we're, and we, Australia, is, is sticks right out there as a sore thumb compared to the rest of the world about the amount of money the banks make out of residential loans. So the banks are there, Harry's there, you know, what hope have we got? Well, what about a, what about a social conscience by, by politicians who claim to have a social conscience and stop believing your your uh, spin agents and start start looking into this seriously. You know, I, it sort of makes you lose trust in uh, who's actually developing government policy, really. Yeah, they're also urging, um, along with some other groups, but the developers are also involved in, in calling for further rent assistance. The government raised it last year in the budget, but they're saying it should be raised a lot more this year. Um, but the problem with that with developers is what it goes up, don't they just increase the rent? Yeah, this is this is like rent assistance is a handout to slumlords. The idea that rent assistance is is to the benefit of renters is is absurd. Like that money is going directly to the you know the the worst most predatory landlords and slumlords and rooming house operators and caravan park operators in the country. Uh, you know, uh, welfare raising welfare. Super important. Raising rent assistance, uh, just handing more money over to landlords at the bottom of the market, and we know what they're like. Yeah, so that's a good yeah. point. So in fact, you increase the level of welfare, but you. Uh, but it's welfare for that's, landlords. That's like the, the idea yeah. that you know everyone hates welfare until it's going to the rich. Yeah, totally agree with you, Shane. Yeah, and I actually pay the money direct to the landlords. They don't give it to the tenant to give it to the landlord. So it's transparent to the tenant even. Yeah, bloody awful, isn't yeah. it? All right, Jack, well, we just cheered people up no end again. We'll do this all year. Um, we're out of time, but uh, Jack, look, thanks for your time yet again. Yeah, uh, good on you. Keep up the fight. Okay, Jack Burden there, who's, um, as we say, a, a housing activist and uh, lives in public housing, and Shane McGrath, housing activist, lives in private housing, don't you? Private rental. Yeah. <laughs> Battles Shout around. out to my landlord. <laughs>
Karina, you want to, well, you can't give a shout out with your voice today. You want to have a bit of a non shout out enough. to your landlord? <laughs> oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> All right, next week, look, it is the fourth Wednesday. I'm not sure what we're going to have, but we are hoping to interview someone about that, um, that court case that's going to challenge the, the destruction of the towers. We hope we get someone on that next week. Okay, that's it. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.